This is the BTEC Basquiat podcast. I'm Samuel, and this is the pod where we chat music, sport, architecture, art, design in a way that isn't pretentious or gatekeeping. So we can keep it as an open conversation, no matter how much prior knowledge you have in the topics that we talk about. And this is the third episode. I'm really excited for this one because we're doing it a little bit differently this week. So I'd normally just sort of touch on and highlight certain aspects of the topic, but uh, this week I'm doing more sort of deep dive segments just because I feel like what I've selected to talk about this week deserve a bit more of a conversation. At the end of the last pod, I initially uh, had the idea of talking about the Premier League just because it's taken a little bit of an interesting turn this season. But I've had to push that to the side this week because there's really exciting uh, press release from Jaguar Land Rover, the automotive manufacturer. So that will be the first section of our pod. Um, the second section, we are doing a little bit of a, like I said, a deep dive on Slow Tie's new album, Tyrone. Um, and then we're finishing off with the Palace uh, collaboration with Stella Artois, which is releasing at the end of this week or depending on when you're listening to this on Friday. So I can't wait to chat about these three topics today. Like I always say, this is a work in progress. It's still a new pod, so please do expect some ums and ahs. It's a unscripted pod, like I say. Um, so yeah, I'm working on it. It's evolution, not revolution. We're working on it as we go along. We're learning. I'm developing my editing skills. So I'd love feedback and love any questions that I have on, on the topics that I talk about or anything at all uh, I'm really open to on our Twitter which is btechbasquiat or one word and I look forward to hearing from you guys and hope that you enjoy the rest of the pod so earlier this week Jaguar Land Rover or JLR released a really interesting press release which essentially laid out a roadmap for how they want to approach the next decade and further than that Um, And it's really going to sort of reshape the two businesses and the approach they take to their products at the moment. So starting from 2024, that will be the release of the first all-electric Land Rover. 2025, we'll see Jaguar become an all-electric car brand, which I think is probably the most ambitious of the points in the press release. But they've said the date, so they must be deliverable. The next point is 2030 which will see all Jaguar Land Rover models available in all-electric. And then by 2039, they will hope to have net zero carbon across the business. It's quite ambitious, I'll definitely say that, but definitely fantastic news for Jaguar. It's been a bit of a lost car brand for about a decade now. It's been essentially producing competitors to what the big German brands like BMW, Audi, Mercedes have been producing but without ever actually really competing with them. I'd love to do a spotlight on Land Rover and the direction that they're going to take in the future. I might do that on another pod, but I think it's just particularly exciting for Jaguar because, like I say, they've been a little bit lost and this could be a really exciting restart for the company. So I just want to highlight them today. And I've decided that I just want to run through the sort of quite bloated Jaguar lineup. Um, just so you can have a bit of an uh, idea about why this is such a necessary sort of revolt from the car brand. And is ambitious, but it, it really is going to decide the future and the direction that the company move in. So at the bottom, the sort of cheapest entry level Jaguar is the Jaguar XE. And this 
essentially is meant to compete with the 3 Series, the BMW 3 Series, and the Audi A4, which are entry-level sedans from the German manufacturers. And it's a bit of a weird one, because essentially for the same price or a similar price, only £2,000 or so, a little bit less actually, more, you can get the Jaguar XF, which is the next step up, another uh, sedan, but it's much better looking than the XE in my opinion, much sort of more aggressive styling. It's longer, larger than the XE, so more practical, more eye-catching and up-to-date interior, and especially the infotainment is a lot more up-to-date compared to the XE. Um, and it's also available in a sort of shooting brake uh, alternative body style, which the XE isn't. So that's quite a confusing one because it makes you wonder why the XE actually exists when you can upgrade for such a small price difference. Something which is also particularly interesting on the Jaguar product lineup is that what has found these sort of German manufacturers so much success in the last sort of 30 years is these like BMW M division, the Audi RS division and the AMG division for Mercedes producing these sports alternative models or, or sort of sports alternative trims and engine options. And that just doesn't exist for these Jaguar models, for the sedans. And also, they're only available in MH uh, EV options, which is a mild hybrid engine. So they're not even available in sort of plug-in hybrids or electric variant. So these sort of Jaguar cars don't appeal to either of these camps. They don't appeal to the sort of sports-focused petrol heads, but they also don't appeal to those who want to move on with a more uh, electric or economical or environmentally friendly vehicle so it's quite an interesting it sort of it feels as if the sort of product lineup on the sedans doesn't really appeal to anyone in particular and then also the other two cars that they have sort of in their primary lineup are suvs so you start off again with a sort of lower price variant which is the jaguar e-pace it's built on the same platform as the land rover evoke but I just always wonder why you would choose an E-Pace over a Land Rover Evoque or Range Rover Evoque. Because the Range Rover Evoque is a far more iconic vehicle. It's far more, it's got a more luxurious name tag, I would say, like more luxurious nameplate. And it's just nicer car inside, nicer car to drive. Jaguar, I also think, are probably kicking themselves that they have already used the name E before they went electric. That, that's a bit of a mishit. But with the E-Pace overall, I have to say that the proportions and the sort of design of it are just horrendous, in my opinion. It looks really sort of stubby and looks almost like an a off-brand F-Pace, I'd describe it as. And that brings us on to the next model up, which is the F-Pace. But that in itself, I'd describe as it's like a sort of bland, less revived, less revived, less refined Volvo XC90. It's built on the same platform as the Velar, which on the Land Rover lineup is the next one up from the Evoque. But again, just like with the E-Pace and the Evoque, I don't really understand why you would choose an F-Pace over a Velar when, I, in my opinion, the Velar is by far the best-looking vehicle, best-looking model that Jaguar Land Rover across both brands make. It really is an exceptional SUV styling-wise. They describe it as avant-garde styling. It, it's just beautiful and would definitely be my pick of the bunch if I was looking for a luxury SUV. So the question I always think is why are Jag doing SUVs when Land Rover exclusively do SUVs 
and also do those SUVs far better than Jag do. So that sort of immediately wipes out half Jag's product lineup and asks you, why why are they doing it? Also, for some strange reason, this is the only model available in SVR, which is Jaguar Land Rover's sports division. So they have this, they have the facilities here for it, but the SVR division, it's only being utilized on the F-Pace and the F-Type as well. In the Jaguar Land Rover family though, on, on the sort of Land Rover side, it is being used for the Range Rover Velar and the Range Rover Sport, but for some reason just isn't being utilized for the sedans. So I think that they really sort of missed a trick there. But that does bring us on to the last combustion engine option in the Jaguar lineup, which is the F-Type, which is a beautiful coupe. It's probably the only real Jaguar, or the only real Jaguar if you look at how the company have been trying to position themselves in the last few years. But the fact is with these things that small coupes are dying. The Audi TT has been cancelled for some reason, I'm not quite sure why. I mean, I'm no businessman, I don't work in marketing, I don't understand the decisions behind these things, but I don't know why they didn't reposition that as a little electric coupe. I think there would be a market for that. And the BMW Z4 is hugely niche. It got uh, sort of rebranded and had a facelift a couple of years ago, last year or so. But it was forced to share parts significantly with the Toyota Supra, which was released in the same year. So there's not sort of the full... They're not putting the company behind really sort of producing exciting new coupes. They're just leaving it as a, another alternative in the product lineup. But there is one more Jaguar model, which is a bit of a teaser of what to expect in the next five years as Jaguar move towards these sort of electric alternatives. And that is the Jaguar I-Pace. It's the only legacy car brand, in my opinion, to compete with the likes of Tesla and although the other sort of German big German car brands are producing electric alternatives like the EQC for Mercedes and I think it's called the e-tron for Audi it's just a fact that the Jaguar I-Pace is competing and winning in the looks department for these cars because I think that it's actually an original design it looks like something new something that has been designed to be electric Whereas a lot of the uh, sort of German rivals offerings are just sort of redeveloped petrol cars. So you're never going to get the prime range or electric car enjoyment out of it because it's a repurposed electric chassis or repurposed petrol chassis even. Um, and you also get more range when you design a car to be specifically electric. And you get better driving appeal and excitement. And but I can never decide if I like the looks of the I-Pace to be honest. Every sort of different angle that I see the car in, in my opinion changes completely because it's the size of an SUV but has the ride height off of the ground of a sedan, I'd say. It's quite strange proportions, but I think it is nice. The biggest drawback on the model is just that it's far too expensive. It starts at £65,000, which is weird considering that the sort of comparable on the luxury spectrum, the comparable Jaguar, which is the F-Pace, starts from £40,000. So straight away you're going to be thinking, okay, where does that £25,000 go? And yes, it is a cheaper electric SUV to the Tesla Model X by like £20,000, £30,000, but you're by no means getting the same sort of electric car experience I'd say especially with the new interior updates that have only come out in the last sort of two weeks or so with the plaid options on the new Teslas Tesla Model S and Tesla Model X 
which allow 0-60 in 2.5 seconds versus the Jag's 4.5 seconds. And this Jag is slower than just about anything that Tesla makes. So when you get like a Tesla Model Y, which is the lowest entry point for an electric SUV that they produce, which goes faster than this £65,000 Tesla, you start to be making comparisons that might start to put you off of purchasing this Jag. So I think Jaguar as a brand are a little bit of a poison chalice at the moment and definitely in need of a complete model overhaul for sure and a complete rebrand I'd say because I personally couldn't say what Jaguar stands for. I mean other than it being like a rich old man's car I don't know what Jaguar is meant to be because can they say that they're they have racing pedigree and they're meant to have sporty options when they don't even have SVR options for their vehicles. So I'm excited to see where Jag develops and where they try to position themselves in the next five years. But in my opinion, they are off to a great start with the I-Pace. But there's definitely questions to be answered and decisions to be made over the next half decade. So like I mentioned at the start of the pod, I want to go a little bit more in depth today rather than just highlighting a handful of songs. I want to look at Slow Tie's latest release, Tyron, which came out this week from the Northampton-based artist. He made his name in sort of around 2018 with some really quite like hard rap singles. Uh, my two personal favourites were tea and biscuits and drug dealer but this then formed one part of what was a two-sided album which was his first full-length album nothing great about britain which was a really raw and honest rap album on on both sides and it had really thoughtful features like inglorious featuring skepta which is such a good song and also i just want to put this publicly in the hope to manifest it that Dorman, which was one of the singles he released in, I think in 2018 as well, which was then also a track on Nothing Great About Britain, which was a collaboration with Muramesa. I would love to see a full-length album, so I just want to put this publicly in the hope to manifest it. I'd love a full-length slow tie, Muramesa, like a punk rap album, because they've done two singles together already, which is Deal With It and Doorman, and they are just like great insights into how fantastic a collab album between the two of them could be i think because i mean they show they've already shown how they can talk about like real british problems of our generation like gentrification and drug use and poverty and sort of lyrically and and actually the, the, the full songs are really reminiscent of songs like park life by blur or uh, the streets like with mike skinner's vocals but this new album that he's released this week coincidence or not was released a year to the day of his enemy award mess i'll say um, i don't want to drag it up here because i think that's unnecessary so if you don't know about it feel free to research if you want but it was a evening that for most would probably be not career ending but very much career damaging but for everyone involved they were very supportive of slow tie and I was in fact on his mailing list of hand-signed apology postcards that he sent out last year, which was unexpected, to be honest. I think many artists that had had slip-ups like that would not have done the same. But like the first album, this second album has two sides. One is written in all caps, 
and features like hard rap uh, like we've seen from him before. And the second is all in lowercase with more sort of acoustic bass tracks. And when I found out that one half was written before the enemy mess and the other half after, I would have thought the sort of like intense all caps side of the album was the prior but actually it's the other way around and these sort of acoustic-y songs came before what happened at the enemy awards and then the other half surprisingly came after so for me though from the two halves the second half is miles better than the first but i'll just run through a couple of songs on the first so one of the or the first um collaboration is on the track cancelled which has a skepta feature but in my opinion, it doesn't hit anywhere near as well as Inglorious, which also features Skepta on his last album. And the second feature on it, which is on the track Mazza, which features ASAP Rocky, is, in my opinion, improvement on Cancelled. I think it's a better track overall. But I think that Slow Tie actually lyrically probably shows up ASAP Rocky's feature. And uh, yeah, it just feels a little bit unnecessary the feature from ASAP Rocky, I think. But they're two, they're both really good songs and both great artists. But both of the verses from the features are sort of quite like bland, cocky verses, um, especially from ASAP Rocky. And it's just a bit like, I think when you have someone who's as lyrically creative as Slow Tight, you really need to up your game in a sense. But yeah, like I say, these are overall decent tracks, but it's a little bit embarrassing, I think. And then one of my highlights on the first half of the album is actually a track which is only 48 seconds long, which is called What, and then the next track along Dead. And yeah, for me, these are first half highlights. They reminded me of his first singles, and he's clearly just focused on nailing the lyrics, which he very, very much does. But because of this album division, with the two sort of very different approaches put together... Um, it might feel a little bit weird, but the last song in the first half, which is Play With Fire, is, I think, a really great blender track for the two. There's probably a proper name for it, but that's just what I'm going to call it. Because that track in itself actually transitions musical genres. And I wouldn't be able to sort of label what it is because it's beautifully sort of acoustic, rock, rap. And it worked really well to merge the two and make it feel like one complete album rather than two very separate sides. But the first song on the second part is my favourite song from the whole album. It's fantastic. It's called uh, I Tried. And it combines his sort of cockiness with his struggles through his life. And the backing vocals sort of about trying to take his own life are really strong. And that, that's what you get straight from the from the go on this track but the sort of the backing itself reminded me a lot of early Kanye and I, I just thought it was a fantastic track and probably my, definitely my favourite but one that is worth listening to if you only have time for one track on this album. The second song on, on the album is Focus which yeah it's my second favourite from the album. It's lyrically flawless I'd say with really unique standout production it's talking about him ignoring what what people say he should be doing um, because that is what has allowed him to get the success that he's got now so it's a really sort of interesting track musically lyrically production wise and I really liked it and the more I listen to that track actually the more it's sort of edging its way to becoming my overall favorite I think 
I I liked uh, Terms, which was the next track, but the features again were a bit weird. Dominic Fike is an artist that he's he's one that I really want to like, and I've tried to like him so many times. I've listened to his work, but he's just not for me. I don't think. And Denzel Curry is another feature on there, but he didn't get a whole verse, which I thought was a bit weird, because he is lyrically superb, but wasn't given the chance to show that on here. He was sort of doing joint hooks with Dominic Fike, so I don't know if that was a bit of a missed trick, or the way that the features go across the album, I, I don't think it was necessary really, and it's a little disjointed for me. The album could, I think, actually be feature-free. I think it could have just been slow tie on this whole album and it would probably have the same impact that he's got from having the like four or five features or six features that have been slipped into the various tracks. But there's a really great track called NHS dedicated to the NHS and it's a really real and honest song but still full of jokiness and sort of well-placed immaturity I'd describe it as. Which I think actually sums up Slow Tie as an artist really well. He has the balance nailed. And sometimes it doesn't pay off. But when it does, it really does. So yeah, I, I think overall that album is, is truly fantastic. And I think probably deserved better critical reception than it did. I think quite like universally people believe that his first album was better than this one. But I think this will probably be an album that the more people listen to it or more they realise just how intelligent it is from a production standpoint, from a lyric standpoint. And yeah, I think it's a really special album. And he's a special artist who is one of the best lyricists in the country right now. And he's had a very difficult life, which gets uh, sort of brought up on the various tracks. And yeah, I, I think he seems like a special guy, and I hope he is. he's doing well, because there's quite heavy tracks on there which tell you a lot about the man. But yeah, I think the whole album's worth a listen. But if you only have time for a couple of tracks, I would definitely say I Tried, which is the first uh, first song on the second half. And the second song on the second half, Focus, are my two highlights. Um, but if you're new to Slow Tie as an artist overall, uh, three tracks which I really recommend you go listen to. Uh, Doorman, Deal With It, and Tea and Biscuits, with the first of those two being the Muramesa collaborations. But I, I, I'm really pleased with that album. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and just deserved better than it got, I'd say. I'm never really sure how long I want these podcasts to be. I'm a bit aware that I rambled in the deep dives over the last couple of segments. So... I'd want to keep this end bit short, but I definitely couldn't cut it out because I think it's worth a mention that Palace, the London-based streetwear brand, are doing a collaboration which drops on Friday with the Belgian uh, Pilsner brewer, Stella Artois. And I had to talk about it because, I mean, Palace have had some collaboration misses in the last few years. I don't think anyone can argue with that. And I have to say that this one dropping is another one that continues a trend. Uh, I'd love to do a separate pod on the state of Palace because Palace as a brand does have a place in my heart. I've owned Palace clothes since like 2015. I, I'm a big fan and I always look at every drop, but some of the collaborations over the last couple of years have disappointed me. But I mean, 
the majority of the garments in this drop are misses. They're sort of like carelessly put together, in my opinion, quite like garishly slapping this like combined Palace Artois logo over everything. And it just looks a bit random and that combined with the sort of like tacky colour schemes and quite random colour schemes that they've used. It just is a bit weird to me. But that being said, there are still a couple of items that I would be looking to pick up maybe. The white denim jacket on the drop, which does use the logo, but at least it maintains the colour scheme of Stella Artois, would probably be my choice out of all the garments. The trousers, though, which use the same pattern, are too much, I think. Especially combined, I can't I can't even imagine. With those sorts of things, I, I mean, the price of palace items have gone up over years, and I imagine that they're just, like, eye-wateringly expensive. So, other garments that are available on this drop, though, the T-shirt with the... It's got like a beer in the shape of a pea with the head being scraped off. is great, I think. Just because it's more subtle than the others. It doesn't include the logos. It's just a subtle nod to the brand. And I think it's the direction that the whole collection should have gone in. But, I mean, I copped a beer t-shirt from Palace in. Uh, I think it's like autumn, winter of 2020. So I think two Palace beer tees might be too much. But I think that, that's definitely worth a look. And if you can get it, get it. But I imagine... The beer tea will probably be one of the first to go out, out of the drop. But I mean, I'll be ready online just for the beer glass. But all of the sort of homes wares and accessories, I think, are way better than the garments on this drop. But um, one item that I did see on the release, and I just think I have to bring it up as a note for all fashion brands, that you can't do red baseball caps anymore. It's just a no. I think that, I mean, even if it doesn't say MAGA on it, no matter where you are in the world, people still double take. And I think that I, I, I couldn't wear it. It's just too much for me. So, I mean, obviously some people do, otherwise they wouldn't make them, but he's ruined it. He, he's ruined a red baseball cap. Thank you so much for listening to the third episode of the BTEC Basquiat podcast. I've dropped a lot of opinions on this pod on everything from red baseball caps now being a no-go to the whole of the Jaguar car lineup completely being irrelevant to Slow Tie's new album being underappreciated. And if you guys have any opinions on my opinions or have any questions that you would like me to cover in following pods, please don't hesitate to message or comment or tweet us at btechbasquiat on Twitter, which is B-T-E-C-B-A-S-Q-U-I-A-T, all one word, And also, while I'm on this topic, this is obviously still a new podcast. I'm working on it, I'm evolving it. So if you have any feedback for me or anything that you think I should cover or take out of the pod, uh, I'd love to hear from you as well. So I really hope to uh, see you in the fourth episode and I hope you've enjoyed today's. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) 